Christine Bentley in studio with the recovering Kate Wheeler. I am here. I'm alive. <laughs> and you are listening to What She Said here on 105.9 The Region. Thank you so much for joining us. We are in new digs. We are. First uh, first day recording in our brand new studio here in Vaughan. And we have some great guests on the show to tell you about. As the weather turns, um, finally, uh, with the warm weather comes cottage season. And for cottage owners, renting your property can be a great way to generate additional income. For renters, a relaxing getaway at a cottage may provide a much-needed escape from the busy urban centers. However... However, before starting your vacation, all parties should be advised of the risks and obligations associated with renting. So Lindsay Charles from McLeish Orlando has some tips for us to ensure that both owners and renters are protected. Thinspiration, fitspiration, and bonespiration. These are some of the hashtags being used on social media by an alarmingly large number of accounts. Uh, celebrating extreme thinness by uploading pictures of skeletal women. Mm. We're going to talk about the physiological and physical effects this disturbing trend is causing with eating disorder survivor and specialist and the founder of the Kyla Fox Center, Kyla Fox, and a worthy topic to talk about. Absolutely. Film critic Anne Brody has what to watch at the movies this weekend, and she's also brought us a special interview with John Krasinski about his new film, A Quiet Place. And we have some great movie contests going on right now. Uh, we're giving away passes to see Finding Your Feet. That is thanks to E1 Films. And we're going to tell you about another one later on in the show. So head on over to whatshesaidtalk.com for all the details. Absolutely. Sign up there for our VIP list and you'll get a little newsletter whenever we've got something great to tell you about or give away. Now, parents of children with autism experience a greater impact from their child's therapy than once thought. This is according to new research out of York University's Faculty of Health. So we're going to be joined by Dr. Jonathan Weiss to tell us exactly what the study found, as well as Jessica Gennaroni, a mother who took part in it, and they're going to tell us how cognitive behavior therapy helped her child. And we are going to chat with 22-year-old singer-songwriter Veronica from Toronto. She's in our live studio sessions. Her latest single just went gold in Belgium, and it was... It was almost an accident. It was fate. It was meant to be. Absolutely. So make sure, again, you follow us on social media at What She Said Talk. And if you miss any part of today's show, go to whatshesaidtalk.com where you can watch videos from in-studio. And, of course, you can download our free Apple podcast anytime. We're going to take a quick break here on What She Said, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on 105.9 The Region. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. What she said. She's powerful, wonderful, unbelievable. Now back to What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler. 
spring is finally here and summer will soon follow. And with the warm weather comes cottage season. So joining us now is Lindsay Charles, a personal injury associate lawyer at McLeish Orlando, to talk about what you need to know when it comes to renting a cottage. Welcome back, Lindsay. Thank you. So what are some tips for owners when renting a cottage? What do we need to look for? Sure. So if you're a cottage owner, I think the first thing that you need to do in deciding whether or not you want to rent your cottage is call your insurance broker and say, hey, I have my cottage and we've been going through the normal course, but I've decided I want to rent it this summer. So the reason for that is mainly because there's a whole bunch of different insurance policies and some of them will allow you to rent, some of them won't. And you just want to make sure that your insurance company is aware so that you're protected if something happens to your property and the person renting your property is protected if they get hurt on your property. So that's kind of the first thing. So legally, just mm-hmm. just for go back one second, if if I rent a property, is the is the person who rents it to me? I rent it for the summer. They're liable for if something happens to me? Sure. So let, let's back it up a bit. Yeah. So that's kind of step one is calling your insurance adjuster. So when you're renting out your premises, you have a duty to make sure that your premises are reasonably safe for the renter that's on that mm-hmm. property. So that standard is not one of perfection, but it's a reasonableness standard. Mm-hmm. So it kind mm-hmm. of varies in every situation. So yeah, if your property's not provided in a reasonable standard, that kind of falls on you. So another thing that you should do, which usually avoids anyone getting hurt or anything like that, is when the person arrives, you as an owner would have a duty to warn the renter of any dangers or hazards on your property. So the big picture here is to really make sure everyone's safe and having fun on Mm -hmm. your cottage property. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's also kind of the legal requirements, providing your property in a reasonable state of repair and also providing a duty to warn So that's of the dangers and hazards. So dangers and hazards, in my mind, they change because every property is so different. Mm -hmm. But one that I always uh, like to think about is if you have a dock and there's shallow water. So you don't want some kid just running and diving off that dock into two feet of water, right? So that's something that I would want to warn a renter about. Or say you have kind of like a hole in the front of your lawn and you know it's there and everyone that kind of grew up there know it's there, but a renter may not know it's there. So you kind of want to flag those things that may be a hazard to them. Should you then maybe put that on paper so that um, and have them maybe sign it so that that there is some recognition that you did warn them? Yeah, no, of course. So another thing, if you're an owner of a property looking to rent, is to make sure that you have some sort of comprehensive rental agreement. You can include all kinds of things in there, but some some of them that I've seen that are good are, you know, shallow water, avoid diving off the end of the dock, and making sure the renter signs that, or um, fire pit in the front, It you know, don't run across the front of the lawn because there's a fire pit and you don't want anyone to fall in. Things like that mm-hmm. can be included in the rental agreement, and for sure, will help to make sure that the the people renting are warned of those dangers and hazards. Let me ask you, if you have a renter and their kids, we were talking about this earlier, I mean, they're having a party and something happens and they have an an accident with a sedu that they rented or whatever. Are you in any way liable for that? <laughs> That's a good question, and I think it would depend a lot on the facts, on how you rented it, what you rented to them, mm-hmm. and what the terms are. Um, it's very broad, and when you have specific things like that, you really need to kind of consult with a lawyer to see what the liability is and where it falls, because there's so many different facts at play. Oh, boy. Yeah, no, I know that whenever we've rented a cottage, people don't include their 
motorized equipment because of that. I mean, they might include a ca- you know canoes and kayaks and things, but no boats, no canoes, nothing. Equipment, but it would it, it would vary. So, what about um, when you are renting? a cottage. What should you be looking for? So for a renter, it's kind of like what I just said for owners, but the flip. So my first step as a renter would would to be make sure you have open lines of communication with the owner of the cottage. You're going to want to review that rental agreement to see if there's any of those clauses about certain dangers, not only just from a legal standpoint, just to make sure that you and your family are safe. Um, And what I would think would be prudent is when you arrive at the cottage, you should kind of walk through the property. And if there's any damage, say there's a broken TV, take a picture, send it to the owner so that they know, hey, I didn't break that TV and you don't get a bill at the end of the week. And also just take a tour of the property to see any kind of dangers you may see so that you can warn your family about these kind of potential problems that you may see. Mm -hmm. What about getting references from past? Are Are you allowed to do that from past renters? allowed, I would certainly ask if, you know, you're spending a two-week vacation up there, you want to make sure you're going to enjoy it. So mm-hmm. you can always ask the owner for them. A lot of the websites and things where people are renting cottages now already have a bunch of reviews, so those can be helpful too. I think the quality of the owner and making sure that they'll be able to communicate with you, um, keeping you in the loop is important for sure. And I think I like your idea of the photographs, but not just for equipment, but what about if, if they if the owners said that you caused some damage? So maybe taking a nice video or walk around video of the place before you even as you step foot in it for the first time might yeah, be a good idea. Exactly. So it, those, those videos have timestamps on them. The owner can't say, "Oh, you took that after the damage was done." It's like, "Well, no, I arrived at twelve o'clock on Saturday, and this is from twelve o five. So, but it's, it's sort important. of like when you rent a car somewhere yeah. they will take you around the car with a with a form and they'll say yeah there's a nick on the left bumper and there's a mm-hmm. you know and and, yeah. and you sign off on it and if you see anything else you mention it and then you do it again when you bring it back yeah so, I mean, I think that's ideal if the owner does that or whoever's responsible for the property actually takes you around. In reality, a lot of the times that's not going to happen. So you might as well just kind of figure it out on your own. And that's a great way to do it by taking any video or pictures of damage that you may see when you arrive. So what about things that happen just when you're there? So let's say you were renting a cottage. Let's say you were renting a cottage in the winter and the pipes froze. Well, it wasn't your fault. Unless you turn the heat off. Unless you turn the heat off. But something like that that happens. I mean, I don't know, the roof leaking or something. You're not, you're not liable for that, are you? As the renter, you yeah. mean? I mean, I wouldn't think so, but you never know. I, I think the, the way to kind of look at these things is when you're renting a cottage, you want to make sure you're safe while you're at the premises and the property damage too. I think the owner's got to take a reasonable approach as well. I think it'd be pretty hard to prove that you caused the leak in the roof unless you drilled a hole in. <laughs> now, I've... I've... Um, have a question about what happens if, uh, okay, so we've rented the cottage, everything's fine with the cottage, um, but we have our children's friends come up and they get, they go out kayaking, canoeing, something happens, they're injured on that trip. How do we protect ourselves for our friends? Obviously, our children are covered, 
But for their friends, what should we be making sure? Is there extra insurance that we should be looking at for guests, basically? Coverage, that kind of stuff. That's a good question. You know, they've got a lot of things going on there, too, yeah. because you're talking about yourself Injuries. as a super, supervisory role as well. Mm-hmm. So there's it's kind of like a two-part question that's okay. kind of difficult to tackle, mainly because it depends on the age of the children, what you as the person who's supposed to be supervising them um, did or didn't do. Did the owner know that there's going to be additional people there? A lot of the um, rental agreements will delineate certain amount of people that are supposed to be on the property. They may say certain clauses for if someone's under the age of 18. But I think the big takeaway here is that if something happens and you have a rental agreement, someone gets hurt while you're renting the property and something was wrong with the property in your mind or the, the condition of the property caused that, you should probably consult a lawyer because not every rental agreement is going to not allow you to have a lawsuit. Well, so. I'm now at the point where if I rent anything, I'm getting a lawyer to go over there. I'm thinking no. in my mind something like, you know, your your kids are there, their friends are there, they've had a little bit to drink. It's you know, and they're in a canoe and they hit the dock and then they come back and sue because there wasn't a light on the dock or something and say that it was unsafe. Like nobody saw the dock. I mean, that kind of thing. Like it can get really Mm. I, I, I can't even imagine trying to sit down and imagine all the possible scenarios that could, could go wrong. Yeah, you guys have a lot of great hypotheticals. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, review the rental agreement, yeah. communicate with the owner, look with look for any obvious signs of danger or hazard on the property, communicate with your children about that. Um, and if you think that something's happened, someone sustained an injury on in the property, you're not sure if it's something that you could potentially sue the owner for, just reach out and talk to a lawyer and see what mm. they think. And definitely check with uh, your insurance company because... There's possibility if you're the owner of the cottage that they could void the policy if you if they didn't know you were renting it. Potentially, yes. The, every insurance policy is different, and it depends on the amount you're renting. All sorts of different things come into play. So if you're thinking about renting, call your insurance adjuster and just talk talk it through with them. Another well, thing we can worry about. Yeah, <laughs> apparently we're worries. All right. If you uh, didn't catch all of that, Lindsay has written a blog, which is up for us now on whatshesaidtalk.com. And if you want more information, how do people contact you? Um, you can reach me on our website. So it's mcleisherlando.com. And my name's Lindsay. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. Fashion is everything when it comes to hair, so trust your hair to an artist. Jason Kearns of Kearns & Co. is known across North America for making the hottest high-fashion looks work for real people. Jason and his team of expert stylists bring together creativity, vision, and the very latest hair care systems, color, and products to create looks that have heads turning. Your hair is the most important fashion accessory you will ever own. Trust it to the experts. Start today. Visit kernsandco.com. This is 105.9 The Region. This way, I do believe I'm feeling stronger every day. 
Welcome back. A study published by the Journal of Eating Disorders is taking a deeper look into the psychological and physical effects of a disturbing trend happening on social media. What's going on is that a large number of accounts are celebrating extreme thinness by uploading pictures of skeletal women. And joining us now to discuss the dangers of this is an eating disorder survivor and specialist and the founder of the Kyla Fox Center, Kyla Fox. Welcome to What She Said. Hi, thank you for having me. So, so great to be here. The accounts feature selfies taken by girls who want to show off their low-calorie consumption. They're emaciated bodies, and they highlight protruding hip bones, spines, thigh gaps, and collarbones. Why do you think this is happening? I think pro-ana sites have... That's pro-anorexic. Right? Pro-anorexic sites, yes, have are not new. Uh, I, think, I think the difference now is just that on Instagram and within social media, there's just such... There's so much more space for people to actually show this stuff, and there's so much more space for people to have access to it. But what we're actually seeing on on in these posts is no different than what we've always seen. It's just it's just it's just more dispersed. I always had the impression, I guess wrongly, that people who had eating disorders went to great lengths to hide them socially, mm-hmm. but obviously not. Well, I think both exist. I think there's a place of wanting to hide perhaps from the world, from people who they know, from people who know them, and wanting to um, – and, and eating disorders really do live in secrecy. But I also feel like there's a space of comfort with connecting to a community of people who are supporting the same cause. So in that way, I feel like it, 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 it inevitably kind of reaches a person who's suffering, whereas I think people in the world would – wouldn't be supporting that. And and that's where I think the hiding comes in. The fact is, though, it, it is a disease. It's, it's, a, it's an illness. Yeah, it's, it's the and most so severe mental they, health issue, for exactly. sure. So are they supporting this, or, or are they, in fact, looking for support from other people to get through it and get better? I think, again, both. But I think it depends on where someone is at in terms of their suffering. So, of course, there's a whole spectrum of, of where a person moves through when they're unwell into getting well. And if people are still in a place where they just want to stay unwell and stay in their eating disorder, then, you know, uh, sites like pro-anasites or pro-anasupport will be that place that they would gravitate towards. Mm. But if people are in a different space of their recovery, um, where they're wanting to get better, where they're wanting to get help, they would they wouldn't be they wouldn't be connecting to those sites. But you're concerned that um, these social platforms could be more harmful than the pro anorexia websites because they're more accessible and they have a larger reach. I mean, the hashtags include thinspiration, mm-hmm. fitspiration, bonespiration. Yeah. I mean, I think in a way that when there was a time where, you know, we might have been able to monitor what our kids were looking at or what people were doing on the Internet, we don't have access to that kind of control anymore. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere. You know, social media is rampant. So we, we can't actually control what people are looking at when they're looking at it. And the amount of people that would be able to support um, these kinds of images are, are everywhere. So so the ability for, for it to penetrate much further than it ever did when it was just websites, let's say, in the 90s is totally mm-hmm. different now. Let me ask you, your concern would appear to be primarily for children, for young women maybe, or men growing up seeing this. 
Well, I mean, I think that is a major concern. I think it's a concern for really anybody who's affected by eating disorders or disordered eating, that that these images would be prevalent. Because I feel like when people are suffering, when you see those kinds of images, if you're not suffering in those same ways, then there's also this feeling that you might not even be suffering right that you're not even doing the eating disorder right either. And so in some ways, I feel like these images almost promote the way an eating disorder should be done, which is right. really not <laughs> what eating disorders e even ultimately always look like. I mean, there, there's a whole array of what bodies look like well, when people are we, suffering. Can we go back to yeah, sure. that you're not doing the eating disorder right? Yeah, I mean, it's-, it's What a, does that mean? It's a common, it's a, it's common feedback that people speak about because mm -hmm. when you're suffering- you literally feel as though you have this voice in your mind, because it is a mental health issue, that is telling you, you know, giving you a whole list of rules and regimes that you have to align with. And the intention is that within those rules, it's also telling you how terrible you are, how bad you are, how awful you are, how disgusting you are. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's the most negatively evolving illness. And so when you have that kind of noise in your head all the time, the, the reason why a person continues to connect to the eating disorder is because they're they're being told that that they have to do more. That oh, you did that yesterday. Now you have to do this today. Or oh, you didn't listen to that yesterday. Well, you now you have to do this again today. You know, it's it's, a, it's very punitively based. And so, if somebody is not engaging in the eating disorder right, they're probably not getting the results that their eating disorder is telling them they should be getting, or that they think they should be getting. So let's say they look in the mirror, they may not see the aesthetic that they should be seeing insofar as the eating disorder is concerned. Mm -hmm. So then how do we talk to our children about this without adding to the risk of causing, you know, a, a, a psychological uh, problem? Because mm -hmm. if somebody, you don't want them to become anorexic, you want to point out this awareness, but you don't want to raise awareness right. of the issue. So where's the line? It's a good question. You know, I feel like... So much of what people speak about when they think about eating disorders or when they want to talk about eating disorders is they want to talk about food and they want to talk about the body. And of course, that's how eating disorders show themselves. Um, but eating disorders are not about that. They're about what's going on with a person at a much deeper level, um, psychologically, emotionally, circumstantially, just even having a really just a negative self-critic. And so I think the things that we actually have to be talking about are really more about how do we how do we ask our kids about what they feel about our bo their bodies how do we how do we teach them how to have a safe and regulated relationship with food how do we give them space to talk about what they feel you know and 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 really whatever it is that they feel you know i have little girls i have almost a 1 year old and a 2 and a half year old my 2 and a half year old already is, you know, very emotionally expressive. And so even to just give her space when she feels when she feels frightened, instead of saying things like, oh, you shouldn't be scared, mm -hmm. which is, I think, what we try to do. I think there's a space to say, like, why are you afraid? Like, let's talk about that. I feel like emotionally we have to give our children space to communicate what they're experiencing so that they can feel safe with what's, with what's happening to them and how things are affecting them. And then I feel like that inadvertently translates into the way they take care of their body, into the way they feel like they're worthy of certain things. So I feel like that's the kind of work that has to be focused on. So what what was your eating disorder? I was affected by anorexia and an overexercise addiction, but throughout like the journey of trying to get well, it it, it morphed and shaped itself. 
So it turned into binge eating, purging. I mean, I feel like I, I, I encompass the entire spectrum of eating disorders, which is the case for most anybody who's suffering. We don't so, fit nicely and, into boxes. And, and what did people do wrong when they talked to you? Or what could they have done better to help you? Because you, you are now okay. You know, I feel like I don't know if anyone did anything wrong or if anyone did anything right. I just I feel a lot of it was timing, um, a readiness that I that I sort of came to. But I also feel like what didn't work for me is that I my parents would send me to professionals that didn't really understand eating disorders. And I was able to to lie. I, I would sit in a room with someone and just basically lie and tell them that I was fine. I needed people to call me on it. I needed people to be really clear and really honest with me. That would have provoked me to to have felt like I could have been honest too. So is that what happens at the Kyla Fox Center, which is a treatment center in Toronto? Yeah, we really do believe in transparency and honesty. I, Like I said before, I think because eating disorders live in secrecy, if you allow a person who's suffering to continue to be secretive, then they will continue to harm. But as soon as we can help people to be differently honest, then they have to indicate what's happening for them. They have to face themselves. So if I know somebody, Kate and I run into somebody and we think that person has an eating disorder, or let's say we have a child that has an eating disorder, what should we do? I would say that I think you should be honest about how you're feeling about what's happening for that person that you love. And that may look like, I love you. I'm worried about you. I've noticed these things that you're doing with food in your body. Can we talk about that? Um, can I take you to this place? Or what are you feeling about your body? I feel like to be able to have more honest and directive conversations is important. And to not hide behind the fact that you don't want to make someone feel uncomfortable. And how can they connect with, with the Kyla Fox Center to get more information? On our website, www.kylafoxcenter.com, and then also on social media at Kyla Fox Recovery. And Kyla, are there, is there an age restriction or is it anybody? We see everybody who's everybody affected by eating disorders and disordered eating, the entire spectrum, and, and, and across the spectrum of eating disorder suffering. So That's not just anorexia. Well, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you this so much for having me. It's very enlightening, I think, for, for all of us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. What She Said. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. Today's the day to try something new. Second City Training Center is home to North America's largest school of improv. Whether you're looking to build confidence through a public speaking class, test out some new material at the stand-up drop-in series, or just want to stop by and see what's up with improv, they'd love to have you. Visit them online today at secondcity.com slash TC or call 416-340-7270. This is 105.9 The Region. Saturday night at the movies Who cares what picture you see When you're with your baby Let's roll in the bed 
Joining us now for Saturday night at the movies is our film critic Ann Brody. And we're going to start off with one of the big hits of TIFF. That's opening soon. And that was Indian Horse? Indian Horse. And I actually did not find out until very recently that Clint Eastwood produced it. What kind of film critic are you? Lousy. <laughs> so, But it's a very Canadian story. It's about a boy named uh, Saul Indian Horse, a little boy who's kidnapped by government officials, as they were, and sent uh, from his um, family home, First Nations home, to a residential home mm-hmm. where... Bad things happen, of course, and his only outlet is he's he's allowed to play hockey, and it changes his life, and it becomes his dream to play nationally. So we follow him right through to adulthood. There's three people in the role, and we'll have an interview with two of them, mm-hmm. uh, and it just brings up the issues of... You know, the treatment of the Aboriginal children, who the broken families, and also the idea of hockey as being salvation for many people and a way out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so good. Based on the late Richard Wagamese's novel. I, I'll tell you more about it next week, but it is just sensational. Okay, and the interviews with the stars of I- Indian Horse, we have them up now on whatshesaidtalk.com. Plus... We are giving away free passes to Yay. see the film thanks to Elevation Pictures, and you won't uh, want to miss out on that. So you should go to uh, what she said talk talk.com and uh, you should go to what she said talk.com and find out now um what how was a quiet place oh my god it's so good mm-hmm. it's it's a horror film but john krasinski uh co-wrote directs and he stars with his wife emily blunt mm-hmm. it's a future period of time they're living in the woods because the world has completely sort of disintegrated uh so they're living out there but there are monsters who react to any sound. These monsters are blind, um, but they hear, so you can't make a sound. So you're in the middle of the woods, not speaking, not making any noise in order to stay alive. And you see what happens when somebody does make a noise. Interestingly enough, their child um, is played by is deaf and played by a deaf actress, a young deaf actress. But it is so well written. The tension is incredible. It's clever. It doesn't rely on gore and, you know, sort of jolts per minute. It's a really, it's a psychological portrait of this family stuck in this completely unnatural world. Well, oh. and the effects. And the effects. Well, it looks the, scary to me. It I'm is not, scary, I'm not a big but it's deaf. clever. Is it clever? Yes. Because I'm not a horror film fan. I, th- I think you'll be okay with this. I think you'll appreciate it. Well, you've actually brought us an interview with John Krasinski, which we're going to take a listen to now. Okay, now this is a family who is in incredible jeopardy Mm -hmm. if they make a noise. So what they do is create a silent world. That's right. And it's a very pure world where nothing is misunderstood with words. Mm -hmm. You know, and I just love the concept of that. True, right? Especially in this day and age where we send texts and it's not what I meant and you don't have any of that here. Um, You know, the, the truth is, this movie, to me, uh, above everything else, is about family. So, you know, uh, the original script by Beck and Woods, I had received probably, as an actor only at the time, uh, three weeks after we had had our second daughter. And so I was definitely in that brand new parent world of being terrified and hoping that I could keep her safe, keep her alive, be a good dad. And so I just thought if I could rewrite the script and make this the experience I was having, which is really the metaphor for parenthood, because 
Yes, it's it's a scary film, but I, I think it's a scary film because you don't want anything to happen to this family. My job was if you can fall in love with these four people, then it becomes scary because everything becomes scary if they're in trouble. Well, that's the thing. Mm -hmm. You engage with them almost immediately. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of uh, preamble because right. it's silent. You have to just glean just and jump glean in, and yeah. glean. Yeah. Yeah, there's no, di there's no uh, exposition. No character says, this is what happened the last it's two pure. years. It's yeah, pure. exactly. You know, and it made me think afterwards how much we in our everyday lives have to strategize it's true to stay safe that's right and it's that true. comes from the cavemen and this just brought it so much to life i'm so glad you said that because there is something really primal about this that you know if you if you can't teach your kids what to do you have to actually show them and you you know one of my favorite dichotomies in the movie that you know i don't get a chance to talk about so thank you is that the the difference between the father and the the um, and the mother in this movie is my character basically because of what they're going through he goes into pure primal mode of just survival no matter what all I care about is that you get to bed in, at night and that you're still with me and the mother and the character in the movie is so great because her whole thing is yes this is a terrible situation but they're also children we can't just have our kids be survivalists they have to have a life and they have to have so she does things like homeschools them when the next day could be their last day and she still wants them to have an education she still wants them to have a warm household that they can come home to those things are so special to me and and something that i had some of the most fun doing in this movie well i had so much fun watching it because i was well frankly i was covering my face a lot <laughs> right i it's get it so yeah. tense it's no, it so is. Intense. yeah and you realize the power of sound and, and really the power of removing sound is is really fantastic usually stunned. you're sort of inundated with yeah, it yeah you're inundated but uh from your daughter's point of view oh man god that was great and she's incredible isn't she oh my god they're both incredible. Those yeah. kids in the movie, I, they always say that working with kids is slows everything down. It's really hard to do a movie with kids. I slowed them down. They're as professional <laughs> as you can get. Oh, my God. That's great. Well, congratulations. Thank you so much. This is a winner. I Thank appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's a winner from your lips. Thank you. Fantastic. Okay, so what else should we be checking out this weekend? <laughs> we used to joke... We used to call it back in the 70s, the chaps acquitted. The chaps acquitted. Oh, chap acquitted. Right. Which oh, is, dear. you know, what not happened. Not funny. But... No, not funny. And I don't think he, uh, Ted Kennedy would have been acquitted uh, these days in, you know, allowing Mary Jo Kopechny to drown in his car while he's mm -hmm. sitting on the beach mm -hmm. worrying about himself. But this is a sort of a reenactment of what happened starring Jason Clark, who's this tremendous Australian actor. And he's so good playing Ted Kennedy. He's vulnerable. He's confused. He's abused by his father, Joe Kennedy, played by Bruce Dern. Uh, so it's it's the day leading up to the night of the accident when he drives a car off the uh, off the water in Chappaquiddick, um, and it's the big cover up. It's a cover up mm -hmm. that starts the next day. His friends start to cover his tracks. They they tell lies. There's a big meeting of Kennedy you know, colleagues and uh, favorites to decide how to get him out of this. And then, of course, he goes on to become the Lion of the Senate, mm -hmm. which, does that make sense? I don't know. Mm -hmm. But it's really a good film. Um, really fun. 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 <laughs> a little bit soapy. It's a good film. Okay. Um, Jeffrey Rush uh, is back in, what is it, Final Portrait? Final Portrait. He plays the artist uh, Giacometti, who was working in Paris in the 60s and 70s, making these crazy, crazy uh, statues, uh, abstract. So he gets this American writer he's met, played by Army Hammer. Where did 
this guy come from, Army Hammer? Like, like he's a hammer from he Army is Hammer. One, he is yes. one of them because yes. I, we were we were in the states and I saw <laughs> the museum. The, yes, and I went. <laughs> I wonder. He is. But apparently he split from the family a few years ago. Uh, I don't know what the story is now, but he started out, he was the twins, the Winklevoss twins in Social Network. So that's where we first saw uh, him. But he's turned out to be a really, he was in Call Me By Your Name. By Your Name, yes. That's where I first, Yeah. and he has this classic beauty. So he's perfect for this film because so much of the film is just on his face. So he's he's told to give two hours or an afternoon to pose for Giacometti. Mm-hmm. Giacometti is a complete nut. He doubts himself as an artist. And this plays out over the next several weeks. And you're just about tearing your hair out. But we're watching the artistic process. Made me a bit impatient but <laughs> sure, it's nice to look at Army Hammer. <laughs> what about Miracle Season with uh, Helen Hunt? I haven't seen her for a yeah. while. I know. She's starting to look just exactly like Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Is she really? <laughs> yes. Sorry, Helen. <laughs> she well. plays a coach in Iowa. Mm-hmm. This team, her volleyball team, lost um, its star and captain, mm-hmm. Carolyn, Lo- Carolyn Line, found Um she died in a moped accident, and she was very inspirational to the community. Well, the community goes into massive mourning for her, um, and the coach has to rev the team up so they can go win the state championship. And I don't know. I, I just found it very forced. I actually, because I, I wondered when I well, saw this was coming out, um, and we, my husband and I, we sort of Googled her. It's like, where has she been? And she made so much money that she only has to do what she wants to do. So that's that's basically she's just been wow. taking her time and picking her projects and doing like what she wants to do. So it must be nice. That's fantastic. Yeah, she's no no stress. I'm not sure this is the right role. <laughs> <laughs> Should have stayed away. Okay, um, allure, allure. During TIFF, that was called a worthy companion. Quite controversial. It's about uh, Evan Rachel Wood, who's you know in her 30s, having an affair with a 16 year old girl who's very vulnerable mm-hmm. and abused by her mother, um, you know, bullied by her mother to learn piano and whatnot. And they begin sort of a secret relationship. Uh, but it turns out that the older woman has real psycholog- psychiatric problems. And the girl's getting more and more vulnerable. And it's, um, it's tough. It's tough to watch. Mm. It's tough. Let's skip down to 300 years of French and Saunders yes. because I, two <laughs> comedians uh, I adore. On BritBox. Oh, you've got to see this special. It's just an hour. You won't believe your eyes. Uh, they rip on just about every cultural happening of the past 30 years. I mean 300. <laughs> they they satirize every film that ever sort of, you know, Silence of the Lambs, um, on and on. And we see the original iteration of what became absolutely fabulous. Well worth it. And of course, there's so much more, but we can have that. Uh, everybody can go to our website and read it on the blog. And uh, and don't forget, we're also giving away free tickets to the advanced screening of Finding Your Feet in Toronto yeah. on April 11th, thanks to E1 Films, and we'll be there too. So head over to whatshesaidtalk.com for your chance to win a double pass before it's too late and read Anne's blog. Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. To contact the show, go to whatshesaidtalk.com.
Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. Fashion is everything when it comes to hair, so trust your hair to an artist. Jason Kearns of Kearns & Co. is known across North America for making the hottest high fashion looks work for real people. Jason and his team of expert stylists bring together creativity, vision, and the very latest hair care systems, color, and products to create looks that have heads turning. Your hair is the most important fashion accessory you will ever own. Trust it to the experts. Start today. Visit KearnsandCo.com. This is 105.9 The Region. just as long as you stand. Well, there's no doubt that raising a child with autism is a challenge, often regardless where they are on the autism spectrum. A new study has found there is a huge improvement in the whole experience when parents are allowed to be involved in the cognitive behavior therapy with their children. So joining us this evening to talk about this is the York University professor behind the study, Dr. Jonathan Weiss, and also a mom who was part of the study itself, Jessica Janarone. Welcome to you both. Hi there. Thank you. Dr. Weiss, you're the Chair in Autism Spectrum Disorders Treatment and Care Research at York University, once you get through the, through the mouthful. Um, how significant are these results? Were you surprised? Uh, we, we hoped that there would be these kinds of results when we undertook the study three years ago. When mm-hmm. we involved these 67 families over the course of this intervention, um, we were really impressed with the indirect outcomes for parents, the benefits for parents. This is really important because it's the first time that parents were not only involved in their kids' uh, day-to-day and session-to-session treatment, but that we were able to show that they benefited themselves with their own mental health, with their perceptions of their children, et cetera. So, so that's really remarkable. It's not just about benefiting the kids, it's about benefiting the whole family. Well, what is the long-term impact for families who have an autistic member? So we know already that many children with autism experience emotional and behavioral difficulties, between 50 and 70% at any one moment in time. And we know that things like cognitive behavior therapy can be helpful for their kids in equipping them to manage stressful situations better. The impact of this kind of intervention shows that including parents in the process can help empower them to be more resilient as stressful things happen in their lives over the long term. What prompted this study? Were you concerned with the way children were, autistic children were not uh, benefiting from their therapy as well as you thought they should or, or what? So I'm not only a researcher, but also a clinician. And in the training, I've been trained to use this cognitive behavior therapy before. And my experience has been that many kids can benefit, but often parents were left in the waiting room. um, And they were very much wanting to be a part of the intervention, having a lot to contribute and to say. Um, So it inspired me to... Uh, co-develop this kind of new process where parents could be involved, not just at the beginning, at the end, but in every moment of a session um, as a co-therapist. All right, Jessica, let, let's talk, talk to you. Tell us your story. Uh, so, you know, my son was diagnosed with autism around age eight, so fairly late. Um, and we went through the whole gamut of he has a behavior problem. Something's wrong with him. We don't know what's wrong with him. And it was for us... Um, it opened so many doors when we finally got the diagnosis that he was on the spectrum. Um, And what it did was allow us to sort of focus, okay, how are we going to deal with this as a family? 
my experience was exactly what Dr. Weiss just went through. You know, every time Noah went to therapy or some sort of counseling, I sat in the waiting room with his sister, and he went in for 50 minutes. I got to join for the last five, and then I hoped it worked. Or I went home with a tip sheet, and I couldn't practice it with him. We didn't have common language. Sometimes the tip sheet wouldn't work. And it was like just shooting darts, hoping that something landed and helped him at some point. Um, and it wasn't until we went through this uh, this research program where I was able to participate in it with Noah and actually understand what happens in that room and the things that he's learning and and how I can help facilitate that as his parent. It just it just doesn't make sense to me that this wasn't always done this way. You know, for us, it's I, I, and I've said it to many people. What we accomplished in six months is more than we accomplished in 10 years. Because when you're a parent and you're part of that and you're listening to your child telling you this is what works, this is what doesn't work, listening to how the the therapist is talking to them and working through issues, you're absorbing so much and you're seeing what works and doesn't work and you're talking through it and you have that common language in therapy, in the home, you take it to the school night and day difference. Um, But it's the first time I'd ever been invited into the room with him to talk through some of these strategies. Well, Professor Weiss, you must have thought, uh, why didn't we think about this before? Because the children are actually with their parents the other 23 hours. (laughs) That's right. You know, kids don't develop in isolation. They don't develop in a vacuum. Healthy kids develop when families are healthier Mm -hmm. as well. So if we can support not only the child, but also the larger family unit and coping with stressful situations and helping each other, um, then it makes total sense that we would see a a greater benefit. Now, we're not the only, this isn't the only intervention to involve parents uh, for kids with autism, but this is the first study to actually document the benefits, not for the kids, but for parents. So will this now become an accepted practice? What happens? You've done the research. You've got the results showing that everybody benefits to to a much greater degree. Uh, Will parents be able to walk in now to their therapist wherever they are and say, no, I want to be part of this? Well, that decision might not have happen overnight. Uh, Part of sharing these results and convincing clinicians and decision makers uh, about what kind of interventions should they fund and should they employ in their practice, this provides much greater emphasis on looking for existing interventions that have that kind of supportive involvement for parents. So if we can be a part of that to help advocate for those kinds of interventions that support parents along the process for caring for themselves and for their children, then I think that's a remarkable outcome of this kind of research. Well, you must have groups that have approached you because when you're the mother of an eight-year-old, you sort of feel like you you don't have a lot of time. You don't want to wait for 10 years until somebody passes a bill or you want it now because your child is developing now. So what do, what should parents do or what, what, where should they go to put pressure to have this implemented? That's a great question. There are two points that that I'll suggest. The first is if people are seeking treatment, seeking support for their children, to ask those clinicians, uh, ask those therapists, how can I be involved in this? How can I help you on a day-to-day level to help my child better? Um, And as well, be aware of the kind of needs that parents have uh, to be able to articulate not only is my child struggling or has these kinds of difficulties, but these are the kinds of things that I might benefit from as well. Is there a way that parents can access the, the research that came out? It's called the SASOR program? 
Is that right? Um, that they can access the research, maybe take it to those clinicians and say, here, have you seen this? So the Secret Agent Society, it's a spy-themed intervention, <laughs> was uh, developed by Dr. Rene Beaumont at the University of Queensland in Australia. And uh, so it, the Secret Agent Society is a social skills intervention primarily for kids on the spectrum, and that's available um, uh, through purchase through that okay. organization. What's great about my job as a research chair is that I didn't develop this intervention. Uh, I don't have a stake in it. I get to evaluate and test whether these things right. are helpful. So the, this version, the operation regulation version of the intervention, isn't publicly available yet, but it's this kind of research to show what's effective first that enables um, individuals like Dr. Rene Beaumont to scale it up and, and make it accessible to the public. So it will be, I hope. So what would you tell parents who are now going to be probably bombarding us? Uh, are we going to give them your phone number <laughs> or where should they go? You know, I, for me, what I would tell parents is I, I think I've learned a lot from my own coping strategies um, that I can carry through our family. But I'll ask the question now. You know, we have a wonderful therapist, and I will ask if I can sit in that room. And I, I feel more empowered to question if the answer is no, why I can't be a part of it. My personal experience, I mean, we've shared what we learned with the school that we go to. They've been so incredibly receptive, and we've carried it over, and they, they love the resources, and they've looked at it, and in some cases, they've employed it with the entire classroom, some of the things we've learned. So to ask the school to do the research, to ask the therapist, certainly now, knowing what I know, I would be a lot more vocal, and I'd ask a lot of questions. How has your relationship with Noah changed? You know, we are a lot less frustrated <laughs> because before when we would hit a snag or, or we'd have a difficult moment, you know, you're pulling a million things out of your pocket hoping something works. And now, based on what we've gone through, I can sort of very quickly assess, here's where we're at. I know strategy A, B, and C are not going to work in this moment. I can skip right to D. And what used to take an hour takes two minutes to get through. Um, the f level of frustration and the, has gone down. The level of happiness and security has gone way, way up. That must make you very happy, Dr. Weiss. I I'm delighted by those kind of examples because I think it, it brings to life the, the kind of uh, experiences that we're seeing with the numbers, with the science behind what we're studying. So um, it's a perfect complement to the kind of uh, uh, results that we're seeing. Dr. Weiss and Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Again, where can people go to access any information on this? So depending on where they're listening from, uh, they can certainly first by uh, contacting their autism advocacy organization in their region. They can also, uh, yes, contact me at York University. Uh, there's an ASD mental health blog that then they can go check out to learn about this research as well as other research about improving the mental health of people with autism that might be particularly useful. Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. To contact the show, go to whatshesaidtalk.com. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. Today's the day to try something new. Second City Training Center is home to North America's largest school of improv. Whether you're looking to build confidence through a public speaking class, test out some new material at the stand-up drop-in series, or just want to stop by and see what's up with improv, they'd love to have you. 
Visit them online today at secondcity.com slash TC or call 416-340-7270. This is 105.9 The Region. You seem so fine with letting all this time pass by No apologies Cause I won't stop, honey, won't stop Till I feel you move When you go down low Joining us now in studio is 22-year-old singer-songwriter Veronica Welcome to What She Said Hi guys, thank you for having me back here (laughs) Well, what we just heard was your song In the Mood Which just went gold in Belgium Congratulations Thank you so much Cool Thank you. Uh, you worked on that song with Henri PFR, Three Stripe, and Romeo Blanco, who mm-hmm. we understand discovered you on YouTube. Yes. So Romeo found me on YouTube. He saw one of my Drake covers. Mm-hmm. And um, after watching it, he told me, he said, um, I'd love for you to write a song over this this instrumental I have. And I said, sure, I would love to. And um I sent it to him and I didn't really think anything was going to happen. I didn't know much about them and how big they were in Belgium. And then a couple months later, I find I found um, I found out that Sony picked the song up and they were like, OK, well, this is going to be our new single. I was like, awesome. Just now I get to join the ride. So it's been pretty crazy. <laughs> so you were you were just there to receive your gold plaque. What was yes. that like? Very intense. So, like very, very crazy going to. So? Well, Belgium is just a whole nother, whole nother place, and the fact that everyone is speaking French and Dutch, I'm kind of there, like, oh hi, like <laughs> I don't speak any of these languages very well, so I'm just kind of here, just you know, I'm like the Canadian girl, and um, it was, it was very, very fun, and there was just a lot of emotions. I remember um, we did a performance for the song, and mm-hmm. it was at an award show, and I got off stage, and I saw um, one of the people working at the show bring a plaque up on stage and handed it to the DJ. And I'm looking at it and I'm trying to, I was trying to figure out what she was holding. And then once I realized it was the song that we did that had the gold stamp, I just immediately started crying. (laughs) It was really, (laughs) it was kind of sweet, but then I started crying. I'm all emotional. I'm all over the place. And then some, some woman comes up to do an interview and I'm like, really, you think this is a good time, but okay. (laughs) I'm like in the middle. So now there's some interview in French somewhere Uh, and I'm like, just, and you're not looking your best no I'm like it looked like a disaster I'm like great so what's, what's coming up next for you so next I have a single coming out in a couple weeks mm-hmm. um, with two girls that I work with one of her name um, it's Dallas and Jessica P mm-hmm. and they're great so I have a song coming out with them and just more music coming out this summer that's Lots awesome stuff and where can you. people find you online uh, at being Veronica B-E-I-N-G V-E-R-O-N-I-C-A being Veronica. Being, being Veronica. Me. That is yeah, so cool. <laughs> uh, well, we're so happy for you, and we're glad we're glad you're not crying. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, I know. So emotional. <laughs> that is what she said. We will be back tomorrow at noon right here on 105.9 The Region. Be sure to follow us on social media at What She Said Talk. And now with In The Mood, here is Veronica. It's what happens when you take your time with apologies Cause we won't stop, honey, won't stop till the beat drop, no When you go down low We just left the party for the naughty, I say What up, what up, babe, roll up, roll up I keep getting in the mood, yeah
Listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer. Such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. 
We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.